Hi everybody and welcome. We're really glad you could join us. Today's session will provide an overview of the best practice methods for developing and implementing road safety management frameworks for local government. We've got about 500 people registered today and we can see people streaming in. So we're just going to have some introductory slides before Paul starts his presentation. So my name's Elena Gardner, I'm the Communications Manager at Austroads and I'll be moderating today's session. If you run into any technical problems, please let me know in the questions section of your sidebar. You'll find that over on the right-hand side of your screen. I acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we're broadcasting today. I pay my respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitangi and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. So a little bit about Austroads. We're the peak organisation of Australasian Transport and Traffic Agencies. Our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. We use a program management approach to deliver our work. Each program focuses on an operational area of the road system. The project we're discussing today was delivered under the safety program, which is headed up by David Bobberman. So a little bit of housekeeping. Our presenter today is going to speak for 60 minutes and after that we'll have a question and answer time which will run for 15 minutes. We do record all of our webinars and we'll email you once the recording is uploaded on our website. We also distribute our webinars via podcast and you can subscribe to our channel by searching for Austroads in your podcast app. Today's presentation slides can be downloaded from the handout section in your sidebar. Also in your sidebar is uh, the report that today's webinar is based on. Uh, you can also download that report from our website and the link is there on that slide. All of our publications are free to download from our website and you just need to create an account to have access. And that also allows you to sign up for our weekly email alerts so that you don't miss any new publications or upcoming presentations. So please do send us questions for the Q&A session. Uh, simply type your question into the question box at any stage of the webinar. To help us answer your question, it's very, very helpful if you can include your slide number in the question. That helps us understand what your question actually relates to. And so it can be very helpful for you to have the PDF of the slides available to refer back to for that purpose. And so just a reminder that they are available in your sidebar. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenter today, Paul Durden. Paul is a director of Abley Transportation Consultants. He has 20 years experience in traffic engineering and transport planning in Australia and New Zealand. Paul is a nationally recognised expert with specialist skills in road safety, strategic and integrated transport planning and the development of best practice guidance. Hi Paul, it's really great to have you with us today. Thank you, Elena. Uh, really great to be here and looking forward to presenting on this very important topic, which I can see has generated a lot of interest through all the registrations. Great. And Paul, I'm going to hand over the presenter to you now, so you'll be able to start your presentation. Thank you. Okay, that should have uh, come across now. 
Yes, that's perfect. Thanks. So before I get underway uh, with the, the technical detail, I wanted to uh, have a few acknowledgements. So in particular, we'll start with the, the project team uh, and my colleague, Dave Smith, who managed the project, and also uh, another colleague, Rebecca Chuk, who did a lot of the behind the scenes work to collate a lot of the information that is presented in the guide. Uh, also, big thanks to James Holgate of Martin Small Consulting, who was the project manager for this, and for Dave Shelton from Safe System Solutions, who was the technical reviewer. There are a lot of people involved in the review team on the Ostroad side and the various task forces, uh, and they challenged uh, a lot of the, the findings in the report, but uh, we've landed somewhere that we think is a, a very valuable resource for the industry. A lot of this work couldn't have been possible without the contribution from uh, a number of dedicated uh, local government representatives on the working group, and they're listed here. Um, there are a number of other people from local government that contributed to the project uh, throughout the, uh, the duration, um, and far too many people to list. You know who you are. Thank you very much for your contributions. Okay, so let's get underway and moving on to the uh, agenda for today. It will very much largely follow the structure of the Local Government Road Safety Guide uh, that we've put together. So we'll start by providing an introduction as to why uh, guide, separate guidance for local government on road safety management is important. We'll then progress into an overview of the road safety management system and its relevance for local government in New Zealand and Australia. We'll outline the principles and processes for developing a framework for road safety management. We'll then cover off road safety interventions for local government that span all four pillars of the safe system approach. Uh, we'll then introduce the functions necessary for the implementation of a road safety management system and describe the key principles such as strategic partnerships, shared responsibilities, capacity building, funding and the like. Lastly, but certainly not least important, uh, we will cover off monitoring and evaluation. So why the need for targeted guidance for local government? Well, the type of roads managed by local government means that safety issues are different in nature and the spatial distribution, uh, and different in nature and in spatial distribution than on state roads. Local government roads typically have lower traffic volumes, more dispersed crash patterns, a wider variety of road environments, and a greater mix of road users. And all of these make for managing road safety on local government roads an especially challenging task. Local government manage, manages by far and away the longest length of network, road network in both New Zealand and Australia, are approximately 82% in Australia and 88% in New Zealand by length. These roads accommodate 36% of all travel in Australia and half of all travel in New Zealand. And they have more than half the crashes at a crash rate that is nearly double those of state managed roads. Yet despite this, local government tends to receive less funding and have fewer dedicated staff to improving road safety than their state counterparts. And industry guidance has largely mirrored the flow of safety investment, that is providing guidance that is more applicable to state roads. So therefore, the purpose of this guidance really seeks to rectify that situation by bringing together 
all of the contemporary information that is suitable for local government into a single place, providing in a concise format with links and references to key documents that people can use to find more information if they need to do so. At this point, it's useful to point out the references in the green bubbles at the top right-hand corner of the slide next to the Austroads logo. So here you can see a reference to sections 1.3 and 1.4. So they, this slide refers to sections 1.3 and 1.4 of the guide. So if you want some further information about a slide, uh, then head to those sections to find that further information because there's simply not enough time today to cover off every possible aspect of road safety management for local government uh, and the time available for the webinar. So sections 1.3 and 1.4 outline the strategic role of local government and its role in road safety. In most jurisdictions, local road safety programs are delivered by local government. Some of the important roles local government play in improving road safety are listed on this slide. It is important to appreciate though that local government will fulfill these roles in different ways in different jurisdictions. The second section of the guide describes the road safety management system. Internationally, it's accepted that improving road safety performance requires a systemic and planned approach. Establishing an effective road safety management system is the means by which organisations can achieve this. Countries with the safest road networks demonstrate many common characteristics in the management of road safety. They have targeted better safety outcomes, adopted a systemic approach to, to interventions, and put in place a range of institutional arrangements built up over many years. Knowledge about successful practice has been integrated into management tools and applied to assist decision makers and practitioners with the development and implementation of successful management systems. The safe system approach is the guiding road safety philosophy that is adopted in leading nations. It is certainly no different in Australia and New Zealand. The approach demands a holistic view of the safety of the road system and the interactions amongst road and roadsides, travel speeds, vehicles and road users. It is an inclusive approach that caters for all groups using the system, including drivers, motorcyclists, passengers, pedestrians, cyclists, commercial and heavy vehicle drivers. The safe system approach operates on the guiding principles that people make mistakes, that people are vulnerable to injury, that all users and operators of the system have shared responsibility, and that all parts of the system need to be strengthened in order for deaths and serious injuries to be eliminated. Throughout the guide and in this webinar, you'll find references to many documents that are relevant to local government. This example from Towards Safe System Infrastructure, a compendium of current knowledge, shows the shift in thinking and practice that is required under the safe system philosophy. So rows that I draw your attention to here that we can discuss, such as what is the problem? The conventional view there is that accidents are the problem. Under the safe system approach, it's very much focused around fatalities and serious injuries. What causes the problem? 
conventional approach there is that poor road user performance uh, causes the problem under the safe system approach. It's a systemic failure. What is the major planning approach? It's an incremental approach to reducing the problem and associated residual crash problem. That's the conventional approach. Under the safe system, it's a systemic approach to build a safe road system and minimise harm. Throughout the guide, there is a lot of focus on the role of speed and road safety, and this is intentional for a variety of reasons. Firstly, and very importantly, speed is at the core of the forgiving road system. Even small reductions in travelling speeds can have very large effects on injury outcomes, and the creation of an inherently safe road system is largely dependent on the management of kinetic energy in the system. Secondly, and very importantly for local government, is that speed management is a key intervention in every road controlling authority's toolbox, especially local government, where there are greater pressures on budgets and the need to do more with less. The latest evolution of the road safety management system, which is recommended for use by both the World Bank and the OECD is shown here. It contains three levels, institutional management functions, interventions and results. The institutional management functions provide the foundation on which road safety management systems are built. They deliver, they develop and deliver the interventions to achieve the desired long and medium term road safety results that have been established by the organisation. For this reason, they must receive the highest priority in road safety planning and policy initiatives. Effective, initiative, effective intervention focuses on evidence-based strategies to reduce exposure and likelihood of death and serious injury, as well as, the con as well as reducing the consequences of injury in the event of a crash occurring. In good practice, road safety results are expressed as long-term goals and inter interim targets. Targets specify the desired safety performance endorsed by government at all levels, stakeholders and the community. We'll talk more about safety performance indicators later in the webinar. Touching now on the national road safety strategies, you can see that there are two images here for New Zealand. So New Zealand has just uh, uh, launched a new uh, road safety strategy for the 2020 to 2030 decade that was published in December last year. And the Australian National Road Safety Strategy is in its final year this year and uh, preparation of the next one, which will be launched for the 2021, um, is well underway. Now the national road safety strategies are very important in a local government context because local government as a road controlling authority needs to be giving effect to the visions and aspirations set out in these national strategies. The inquiry into the national road safety strategy for Australia pointed out that the vision of achieving no harm on Australia's roads depends critically on creating a mechanism for national and state agencies to support local governments and effectively reduce trauma on local, locally managed roads. So that's an important link. Further, we've got Australia's National Road Safety Action Plan for 2018 to 2020, identifying the organisations tasked with the responsibility of delivering priority road safety actions. This includes the four 
priority actions listed on this slide, which are relevant to local government. But despite the directive guidance through national and state road safety strategies, it is estimated that only around one third of local government organisations have a road safety management system, strategy or plan in place, and close to half have no immediate proposal to develop one. The absence of a road safety management system, strategy or plan does not infer that local government disregards the safety of road users on their local network. Local government organisations are constantly taking action to improve road safety conditions, ranging from incremental improvements in road safety maintenance regimes through to major improvement projects that move towards the establishment of a safe system. The presence of a road safety management system, however, does infer that a local government organisation is likely to have brought all the elements of its safety responsibilities together in a manner that maximises the cur current level of safety experienced by road users within the resources available and demonstrates its commitment to a whole new level of safety in the future. And whilst all road safety management practices employed by local government should adopt the safe system, the manner in which councils set about contributing to road safety objectives set out in the state and national road safety strategies will vary significantly between councils. For example, a road safety management plan developed by a large metropolitan council will undoubtedly look different to one developed by a council in a remote rural region with a low population. Moving on now to the third chapter, developing a framework for road safety. A 2016 Austroads report titled Safe System Roads for Local Government identified that local government practitioners generally lacked a clear framework for evaluating the road network against the principles of the safe system approach. Also found was a lack for clearly communicating to colleagues within the council, both technical and non-technical, to their managers, to elected representatives and to members of the community, the road safety issue that exists at a site or along a road in a safe system context. As such, it was determined that a safety management system for local government should, as we see here, utilise techniques familiar to local uh, to council practitioners, be firmly embedded in the safe system approach, be accessible, be scalable, and so on and so forth. The Ostroads Safety Management Systems for Road Agencies report published in 2015 promotes a systemic approach to road safety within road agencies using ISO 39001 as a template. This system stems, uh, this is, this stems from Australia's National Road Safety Strategy, which includes an action to promote ISO 39001. ISO 39001 closely aligns with the safe system approach to road safety and is a tool applicable to organisations of all size and types designed to help organisations reduce and ultimately eliminate the incidence and risk of death and serious injury related to road traffic crashes. The development of a road safety management system from start to finish can seem like a daunting task. However, if it is approached from a strong project management perspective, it is quite achievable. One of the key critical elements here is gaining endorsement from organisation leadership and gaining that early in the process. 
As you can see here in this slide, this provides a snapshot of views of people that participated in a workshop at the 2018 Australasian Road Safety Conference in Sydney, where participants in the workshop were asked to rate uh, the passion and commitment and capability and knowledge of four different uh, types of people that might be involved in road safety at a local government level. And the point that the slide is indicating is that there is quite a disconnect between uh, the passion, commitment, capability and knowledge of the elected officials and council leadership compared to the council officers and the council engineers. And bridging that gap is a very important first step in creating an environment where the council and senior leadership are supportive of road safety. Uh, there is a link provided here to an Austroads Road Safety uh, Leadership Pack. This pack provides um, excellent reference material that can be given to uh, leaders within local authorities to help them better understand road safety, its importance and how they can get involved. A road safety management system and a road safety management plan have different purposes and characteristics. A road safety management system covers the potential impact an organisation can have on road safety outcomes in a holistic sense. In contrast, a road safety management plan details the strategies and activities that an organisation will implement to tackle key road safety issues, meet agreed safety targets, and ultimately progress towards the elimination of death and serious injuries. It is important that the road safety management system considers the safety impact and potential of the organisation as a whole. For local government, this means having a management system that goes beyond providing infrastructure services within which road safety, road fatalities and serious injuries occur. A road agency needs to have considered the complete range of safety issues related to its network and its operation before it can expect to be able to identify how it will safely manage, maintain and improve the network. A local government road safety management plan will bring together an agreed framework and action plan to tackle the key road safety issues in the area. Coordination with state and national strategies is important for establishing strategic links to mainstream programs and potentially to ex external funding sources. Local road safety management plans need to give effect to these higher order documents such as the National Road Safety Strategy and Action Plans. The development of local road safety management plans enables resource planning and stakeholder engagement both within local government itself and with external stakeholders, including the community. A common first response by local government to embedding the safe system approach and their road safety management plan may be an overwhelming sense that it's impossible to eliminate death and injury from the road system. Due to the complexity of the road system and its interacting components, a safe system may take several decades with multiple strategies and short-term action plans to accomplish. And whilst there is no strict recipe that must be adhered to when developing a road safety management plan, the basic ingredients remain the same. And there are two general approaches. The top-down approach, 
uh, is driven by the vision and from there the strategies and a series of actions are developed to achieve the vision. The bottom-up approach starts with an analysis of what can be achieved within the resources available. This involves evaluating the scale of the problem and identifying the impact interventions are likely to have. The total reduction in the number of deaths and serious injuries that can be prevented is an estimate of the overall benefits of the programme. Now whilst this approach may appear less challenging than the top-down approach, it is more likely to give a realistic estimate of what can be achieved within current resource constraints, including funding. In reality, target setting is likely to involve elements of both the top-down and bottom-up approaches. It is also likely to commence with a consideration of what is currently being achieved and what are the simplest, quickest and least expensive ways to achieve more. Recognition of road safety and incorporation of the safe system approach into strategic and corporate plans sets an organisation, sets up an organisation to integrate road safety into core business practices. Each local government organisation needs to determine the strategic and risk-based approach that will best address the local road safety issues and needs of the community within the system of supports available. Via their Roadwise programme, the Western Australian Local Government Association, WOLGA, has in many respects led the way in developing and promoting the safe system to local government. Their safe system guiding principles for local government publication promotes a whole of council approach to implementing safe systems. The WOLGA guide promotes six guiding principles for councils to adopt on the path to developing a safe system approach for their road network and eliminating death and serious injury in their community. These principles are shown in the figure on the left. The International Transport Forum has identified a series of common success factors of pioneering safe system countries. And these success factors are listed on the right. Highlighted in bold, you will see safety performance indicators, which neatly links through to the next slide. It's important that safety performance indicators focus not only on the final crash outcome, that is reducing the number of people killed and seriously injured, but also on intermediate outcome indicators that are thought to contribute and also to measure the outputs being delivered to address the outcomes. So here we can see some safety performance indicator examples across the different safe system pillars that may be applicable in a local government context. So under safe roads, the second bullet point there, the percentage of road infrastructure projects that are subject to a safe system assessment. That is an output of the system. Under safe speeds, the second bullet, length of residential street network where a local area traffic management scheme has been implemented. Again, that is an output. Under safe people, the first bullet, percentage of drivers and passengers using seatbelts, that is an outcome that may be related to a campaign that is run to increase seatbelt use. And under safe vehicles, the percentage of vehicle kilometres driven by passenger cars of the highest ANCAP safety rating, again, that is an outcome. Regardless of whether the development of a road safety management plan proceeds top-down or bottom-up, problem analysis is a critical step. Problem analysis involves developing a detailed appreciation of the road safety issues in the area covered by the plan. And with the transition to a safe system, 
problem analysis is no longer best informed by crash analysis, which effectively operates on the premise that crashes need to have occurred at a location before remedial action is investigated and taken. Given the theory and the knowledge that we now have, efforts should be made towards adopting a network-wide risk-based approach and systemically modifying all locations with similar risk attributes in the network over the long term. In the graphs on the right, you can see that the majority of deaths and serious injury crashes in New Zealand occur at rural mid-block locations, 43%. Rural mid-block locations therefore become a focus area strategically. If we drill down one level further, we find that the majority of rural mid-block death and serious injuries occur from cornering crashes, that is loss of control crashes on curves. And so focusing on targeted safety improvements at high-risk curves therefore becomes a priority safety action. Just a reminder here that um, if you haven't done so already and if you have some questions to uh, type your questions into the sidebar on the right. Also remember to make reference to the slide number that your question relates to. That'll make it much easier to answer your questions. Now moving on to the interventions that are most likely to be applicable for local government. Firstly, at this point, it's really important to stress that local government has the ability to influence road safety outcomes across all pillars of the safe system not just in the safe roads area. And we'll cover off all the different ways that local government can contribute uh, over the next few slides. Another useful reference document is Ostroad's Best Practice and Road Safety Infrastructure Programs. It provides key best practice principles across all stages of the road safety program process. Here, the best practice principles are listed for identifying and developing interventions. Since 2016, the terms primary interventions and supporting treatments have become more mainstream in the industry. Primary treat treatments are those that have the potential to deliver near zero death and serious injury outcomes and are considered best practice safe system solutions. However, many primary treatments are high cost and local governments may not be in a financial position to always implement such treatments. Supporting treatments generally provide incremental improvements towards achieving a safe system. These treatments have been widely used in the past decade and are useful tools in an incremental approach to crash reduction. They are usually a lower cost than primary treatments, but will generally, generally take multiple treatments to reach the equivalent crash reduction. In some situations, local government may not be able to immediately deliver best practice primary treatments because of financial constraints, conflicting road user needs or the environment. And where this is so, local government may instead be better positioned to make incremental improvements towards achieving safe system through the use of supporting treatments. There are many Ostroads, national, state and territory documents and guides that are designed to help practitioners identify interventions to improve safety of roads and roadside environments. Those developed more recently move away from a conventional approach of focusing on crash reduction 
to one that guides practitioners towards interventions that are aligned with the SAFE system. The following are the three documents uh, that are shown on this screen are very useful and targeted and totally applicable in the local government context. I don't have time to cover them all off here in this webinar, but if we just briefly talk about the one on the left, Safe System Roads for Local Governments, within there you'll find a suite of cost-effective infrastructure treatments for local government roads, including treatments to improve safety for vulnerable road users, such as pedestrians and cyclists, through the introduction of cycling facilities and pedestrian crossings. Uh, also covers off right turning movements at intersections through the introduction of turn restrictions, mini roundabouts and other, other treatments. And on rural roads, improving safety through delineation enhancements such as audio tactile line marking, curved chevron markers and raised reflectorized pavement markers. Many of these cost-effective treatments can be efficiently delivered through mass action programs that target high-risk corridor and intersection locations. Local government practitioners are also encouraged to use Osteroads Road Safety Engineering Toolkit, which can be accessed from the link shown here to test and evaluate road and roadside interventions. And in 2019, the New Zealand Transport Agency released a standard safety intervention toolkit. The toolkit is relevant to both highway and local government road networks and provides guidance for road practitioners of all types and levels of professional experience, including road safety and transport engineers, asset managers, town planners, civil designers and community road safety officers. And that's another great resource. The next pillar is safe speeds. As noted earlier, speed is central to the forgiving road system and the primary determinant of injury outcome in the event of a collision. Speed management has the potential to deliver the highest injury reductions at the lowest cost when compared to other safety interventions. This makes speed management a highly attractive intervention option, particularly for local governments who are unlikely to have the financial resources of state or national government to undertake as many safe system infrastructure interventions. It is acknowledged that local government are responsible for setting speed limits in some jurisdictions, but not others. And hence the approach to speed limit change will vary by jurisdiction. That said, speed management is much more than legal speed limits and signs. Local Area Traffic Management or LATM schemes are a key tool for local government in creating safe and livable road environments. The primary target of LATM is to change driver behaviour, both directly by physical influence on how vehicles operated and indirectly by influencing the driver's perception of what is appropriate behaviour on that street. If you want some more information about that, have a look at the Guide to Traffic Management Part 8. Again, there are many resources available to local government to assist with speed management activities, including these three documents here. Local government can also contribute to the safe people pillar through measures such as admittance to and exit from the system. This might include supporting parents and mentors of learner drivers through a combination of education and practical experience supporting, providing support and programs to assist new migrants gain a license, 
providing support and options to help transit users from the system. It also includes education and information for road users. Now this might be about identifying safety issues specific to the community and developing targeted education campaigns, right through to educating the community about proposed road safety works and infrastructure changes. In terms of legislation and enforcement, there's an opportunity to support and encourage enforcement activities through media releases and education campaigns, and where possible, monitor and enforce vehicle registration as part of routine parking enforcement activities. At a national level, there is one action identified as local government responsibility that relates to the Safe People Pillar. And this comes from Australia's National Road Safety Action Plan 2018 to 2020, Critical Action J, Remote Road Safety, Identify and Implement Key Interventions. Now, I won't read that out. I'll give you a chance to read that yourself. But as noted earlier in the guidance, local government road safety management plans need to give effect to higher order documents such as National Road Safety Strategy and Action Plans. Therefore, incorporating safe people actions should be a fundamental cornerstone of road safety management for all local government organisations in Australia with remote roads. Austroads Guide to Road Safety Part 5, which is the safety for rural and remote areas, and Austroads National View on Regional and Remote Road Safety, which was published in 2019, present a suite of road safety interventions and strategies suitable for implementation in rural and remote areas of Australia. So that's a useful resource for people that have remote rural areas to deal with on their networks. Another aspect of safe people is around workplace health and safety. And local government has the opportunity to ensure safe operation of a council's own staff vehicles and to provide leadership to other organisations and the broader community in improving standards. Central to this endeavour is to have a safe driving or similar policy in place. These policies cover a range of issues, including fitness to drive, appropriate training for drivers, mobile phone and driving hour policies, and a commitment to purchase safe vehicles based on the Australasian New Car Assessment Programme, better known as ANCAP. Local government practitioners may find the New South Wales Road Safety in Your Work a Guide for Employers Guide um, to be helpful in translating legislative requirements into practice. This guide provides workplaces with information about key road safety issues and risks and help and ways to help employers and their workers get around safely while using the road. Vehicles providing inadequate protection is identified as a key roads traffic safety hazard in the Austroads 2019 publication, Vehicles as a Workplace. And as an employer and vehicle fleet operator, local government can contribute to the safe vehicles pillar through appropriate vehicle purchase and maintenance policies and the management of grey fleet. In addition to their role as an employer and fleet operator, there are several methods through which local government can contribute to safe vehicles for local residents, such as those bottom three points listed on this slide. Now we've included a section here on community road safety. 
community road safety differs from local government road safety and that it includes arrangements in which local government assists or encourages rather than leads. And although community road safety can be considered wider than local government road safety, it has, it has been included in the guidance because it, of its role in local government road safety. Through the preparation of this guide, separate guidance for community road safety has been identified as a gap and something that needs to be addressed by Austroads in the future. Okay, so let's recap on where we've been so far. We've covered off what a road safety management system is and why it's important for achieving good road safety outcomes. We've learned about a, a range of techniques that can be used as a framework for developing a road safety management system and highlighted interventions that are likely to be useful for local government across all pillars of the safe system. Now let's move on to implementation and getting it done. So section five of the guide identifies that the implementation of a road safety management system demands the continued and sustained application of several critical road safety management functions, including coordination, funding, resource allocation, just to mention a few. WOLGA identifies six key safe system foundation initiatives crucial to supporting the successful implementation of strategy objectives. These are listed on the slide and we'll touch with them on some of these in more detail on the following slides. It is acknowledged that local government can be captured by parochial issues from time to time, and the challenge is harnessing the momentum generated by these issues and establishing safety as a co-requisite for success. So for example, in a, for a metropolitan council, it might have a desire to have a flourishing commercial sector, and a rural council might desire for the efficient movement of produce. Each example, however, can be used as a platform for establishing why road safety and good road safety outcomes is also critical. When it comes to engaging with the community, partnerships become particularly important for the following reasons. Efforts to reach particular target groups in the community may depend on specialised organisations and social networks. Stakeholder in it. Uh, organisations, especially the police, have the power to enforce aspects of safe road use. Volunteers may be necessary to deliver some aspects of road safety, and sponsorship may be necessary to achieve satisfactory funding levels for some initiatives. Moving on to shared responsibilities, which is one of the guiding principles of the safe system philosophy. Within a safe system, everyone takes an individual and shared role in road safety. The burden of road safety responsibility no longer rests solely with the individual road user. Rather, system managers have a primary responsibility to provide a safe operating environment for road users and ensuring that the system is forgiving when people make mistakes. Now, while the transition to a safe system is currently underway, a lack of organisational leadership for safety within a road agency may mean that the agency retains an outdated philosophy of blaming road users for crashes. IPWEA acknowledges that there are generally six groups of stakeholders with an interest in local road safety issues, each of whom should be involved in the development and delivery of road safety management systems or plans to varying degrees, and they're listed here. Coordination with state and national-led agencies is critical for the implementation of safety at a local level. Uh, 
The lead agency plays a dominant role in most of the institutional management functions for safety, while in others it plays a guiding, encouraging or catalytic role. Having resources to deliver road safety outcomes is one of the key issues facing many local government organisations throughout Australia and New Zealand. Capacity building refers to the continuous and dynamic process of strengthening the knowledge, skills and abilities within an organisation or an individual. Walger states that building capacity is achieved by improving individual skills, strengthening community actions and empowering organisations to take responsibility for road safety. Building an organisation's ability to deliver desired road safety outcomes is an essential element of the safe system approach and will play a pivotal role in achieving sustainable road safety improvements. The successful implementation of a safe system approach requires skilled, knowledgeable and competent stakeholders who are able to identify and respond to safe system requirements. Within section 5.3 of the guide, which this slide refers to, uh, you'll also, it also provides advice on resources that can help local government implement road safety plans, as well as technique for helping to mobilise these resources. Much like the development of a road safety management plan, the development of an implementation program can take a top-down or bottom-up approach. The top-down approach involves developing a program based on activities that give effect to the safety performance indicators set out in the strategy projects that are expected to deliver safety benefits but do not directly contribute to safety performance indicators receive less priority than those that do. In contrast, the bottom-up approach typically involves selecting projects that have the best cost-effectiveness cost metric such as deaths and serious injuries saved per dollar investment. Whilst the top-down approach is best aligned with the safe system approach, Highly cost-effective projects should not be excluded from a program simply because they do not contribute to the stated safety performance indicators. A balanced top-down and bottom-up approach is likely to represent the best way forward for local government. And examples of top-down and bottom-up types of projects are listed on this slide. The Safe System Roads for Local Government document produced by Austroads introduces a safe system hierarchy of control tool as a risk management framework for developing road safety programs. The four levels within the hierarchy of control framework are generic in nature and permit application to any risk scenario. They're shown here in decreasing order of importance. Adequate funding of road safety initiatives is imperative to achieving road safety results. Best practice suggests that funding allocation within a program needs to reflect both the scale of the problem and the level of investment required to reduce risk. However, this would rarely appear to be the case, especially at a local government level, where road safety projects compete with other transport and infrastructure projects for funding. For local government organisations with limited budgets, activities included in a road safety programme should be highly cost efficient. And one of the best ways to achieve this is to focus on low cost, high, effective, tr high effectiveness treatments that have extensive network coverage. So examples include 
speed limits and speed management, audio tactile line marking, local area traffic management, providing side barrier at very high risk locations, enhancing corridor delineation through improvements and through maintenance activities such as resurfacing. On to the final section, we're nearly there. And this final section of the, of the road safety program is monitoring and evaluation. It's consistently identified as the area that received the least attention compared with the other parts of the project and program development and delivery process. Monitoring and evaluation are integral to the sustained effectiveness of a road safety management system and need to be prioritised so that the conclusions can be used to support the next cycle of improvement. As in many aspects of a road safety management system, monitoring and evaluation can start at a relatively simple level and build in complexity over time. Monitoring and evaluation of safety performance is best considered during the planning phase of a road safety management system through an iterative approach which aligns specific safety issues with performance measures and with data collection and analytical processes. Ongoing monitoring and evaluation are an essential part of the process to discover what impact the safety program is having and whether the targets set out in the strategy are likely to be met. The results of monitoring and evaluation enable adjustments to the program to bring it closer to meeting the targets specified in the strategy. Here we have an, a case study example from New Zealand with the Rural Intersection Active Warning System or REORS evaluation. So for those of you not aware um, what REORS is, this is a variable speed limit system that is installed at intersections in high speed areas where the speed on the main road with priority uh, is lowered when it senses the presence of a vehicle approaching the intersection on one of the side roads. So the evaluation undertaken here by Mackie Research used a suite of measures to assess and evaluate the effectiveness of the variable speed limit on through road vehicle speeds. And it included items such as visual observation of the REORs, sign performance and utilisation, point speed of major road vehicles, vehicle counts, motorist perceptions of REORs, minor road vehicle gap selection, and ultimately progressed to crash data. An example of motorist behavioural response to REORs is shown here in this figure, informed by before and after speed distribution profiles. This type of evaluation is especially beneficial because it can be conducted shortly after the implementation of a project and used to gauge the longer term safety efficacy without waiting several years to evaluate the crash change, the change in crash numbers. In this instance, the change in speed distribution profiles shows that REORS is highly effective at modifying behaviour in a way that will lead to fewer crashes and or crashes of a lower severity because of reduced travel speeds. So that's it. Um, we'll now move on to questions and I look forward to Elena posing me all those tricky questions you've come up with during the presentation. Thanks, Paul. That was great. Um, yeah, lots and lots of practical advice there and obviously lots of food for thought for people. There are lots and lots of questions. Um, I will say there's a couple of questions that relate to projects that aren't this project. 
um, we will respond to you uh, offline. Um, Paul wasn't involved in those projects, so it's a bit unfair to throw him um, non-project questions, but we will get back to you. There's also a couple of questions that relate to uh, some of the Ostroads reports uh, that Paul has mentioned. What we'll do is we'll prepare a list of those reports and we'll publish them with the webinar. So you'll have a ready reference to all of those reports with the webinar recording. Oh, I can so, just say as well, um, Elena, if it's useful for people, the, um, the local government road safety management guidance document includes uh, an extensive reference list at the back there with um, links that will take you directly to those documents to download from Osteroads or other locations as well. So that's, um, that might be helpful for people that have posed those questions. Terrific. Okay, thanks a lot, Paul. I had forgotten that that was there. That's great. Okay, so the first question um, is from slide 12. Thank you. And it's a pretty simple one, just asking whether there was a Queensland local government representative on the project. I didn't um, see one listed, but... Um, no, and also not listed in the report. And if I've look, overlooked someone there, look, my sincere apologies. Um, and I'm sure that Osteroads would have invited representatives from all of the different jurisdictions, um, but sometimes it's just a matter of people's availability to join a, a working group for a particular project. Great. Okay, the next question relates to, I think, slide 16. Okay. Uh, so the question is, was there much analysis done on the different obligations that are put on local government by different jurisdictions. For example, some local councils are responsible for setting speed limits while some are not. Yeah, look, um, this is one of the, of the key challenges when we uh, provide any guidance around uh, local government because there are different legislative requirements for local government in different jurisdictions. What we've really tried to provide here is some best practice principles, framework uh, and guidance to help um, guide people to implement the most applicable road safety management system uh, that can be achieved within their legislative jurisdiction. So, um, I, and I think that's a, um, it's a limitation of all local uh, Ostroads work in that it, it can't be specific to uh, jurisdiction to jurisdiction. It just becomes far too, far too onerous. Sorry, okay. I can't be more help <laughs> there. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Paul. So slide 26. Yes. So um, the question is, do you have any tips for local government engineers and officers looking to win the hearts and minds of senior decision makers who have tr traditionally focused on reducing the number of customer complaints related to congestion? Right. Okay. Look, um, uh, a great question. I think one of the key things here is to um, have a conversation as early as possible um, up front, uh, establish what local uh, elected officials and leadership want in terms of road safety, make sure that um, you educate them about what road safety is and the safe system approach and what the national and state uh, strategies are asking and, and demonstrate what those links are to local government. I think that there doesn't need to be a conversation about money early on, but what we really want to see is a commitment from leadership 
um, as early as possible in the process so that any safety management system that is developed is seen as a council-owned document rather than something that is owned by the transport department. If that's the case, then it won't have the buy-in of the elected officials or senior leadership. And then when you get around to provide, you know, wanting to implement initiatives, you'll find it's much more of a struggle. Uh, certainly there's a lot of good examples uh, around the place where um, senior leadership and elected officials are very much um, uh, advocates for road safety outcomes. Uh, so Yarra City in Victoria, um, fully 40 or 30 on their um, road road network, uh, which is Metropolitan Council in Melbourne. Uh, and I know that um, in a number of other areas, so councils in New Zealand and in New South Wales as well, uh, they have very strong leadership um, and advocate, um, highly vocal uh, council officers and engineers who are beating the drum about road safety and making sure that um, the leadership and elected officials are held to account to implement what they've agreed to do. Great, thanks for that. Um, so the next one I think relates to slide 30. Okay. And the question is, can you provide examples of performance indicators? Um, I see that we've got those listed there, but uh, can you provide any further advice around um, sort of sample performance indicators? Okay, so uh, you can find further reference to those. Uh, I believe that there's um, links to those uh, safety performance indicators within the report. But one of the key things for when you set a safety performance indicator is that it, it needs to relate to one of the problems that you're looking to address in your area. So if you're, um, if your issue is that vulnerable road users, so pedestrians and cyclists are being killed or seriously injured in your rural neighbourhoods, then the, the, the second bullet point there under the safe speed one would be entirely applicable to the key issue in your area, which is making sure that um, you're increasing the length of your residential street network where local area traffic management schemes have been applied. So the key here is to link the indicators to what you're trying to achieve and linking it also to the problems. Great, thank you. Um, next question, possibly either slide 23 or 24, looking at the review of speed limits on high risk regional and remote roads. Uh, maybe 20. No, have I gone too far? Um, I don't know. The questioner wasn't quite sure which question, but how, oh, it's quite it a is, long. Yeah. No, okay. Yeah. Priority <laughs> action one, I can see that there. Review speed limits on high risk regional and remote roads in consultation cool. with the community, yes. Great. So uh, this is a long question and I'll try and paraphrase it. Um, so in, in relation to regional and remote roads, some high risk locations are downgraded without any treatment. If we are not going to treat the possible high risk location in the future and only treat the current high risk location, this will downgrade the road without treatment. How then do we expect accident reduction? Can you comment on that? Mm, I'm not quite sure I, I understand the and question I, yeah. fully. Yeah, how about, how about we take that offline and we'll, can, um, we'll try and address it. Yeah, we can provide a written response to that one, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and Haran, we might come back to you um, with a further question just to seek 
sure. some clarification around that. Okay. So uh, another question, we don't have a slide number for this, but um, question is, do you think New Zealand Transport Authority taking on responsibilities for speed enforcement will create new opportunities for local authorities in speed enforcement as well? Uh, yeah, look, that's, that's a great uh, point. Uh, I think that that will be the case. Um, we're seeing in New Zealand um, local government and the transport agency working much closer together now than they ever have in the past. And certainly the way the, um, the transport agency is developing their national land transport program, that's very much now taking um, an inclusive and leadership role in sharing data with uh, local government, uh, engaging with local government early in the process and making sure that um, road safety interventions are delivered on local government roads um, purely because an acknowledgement that a significant portion of the crash risk um, and people that are killed and seriously injured on roads in New Zealand happen on local government roads. So there's absolutely no reason why that wouldn't flow through into enforcement activities as well. So. Um, having that um, safe people pillar through enforcement activities, I can see that as being, you know, another enhancement to maximise the, the safety gains that are generated from that sort of system. But I, now I've got a run of questions where we don't have slides, so I might just um, move on to those. So sure. question relating to uh, management systems. So what mm -hmm. management systems are available for public works planning that incorporates a safe system approach or risk assessment? Are you aware of any? Uh, there's the safe system assessment framework. Uh, that's, uh, that's a published um, assessment framework, which is uh, looking around um, particular interventions. So you can use a safe system assessment methodology to evaluate uh, current conditions and then to um, evaluate different options that you may be looking at um, to, um, as an intervention. So that's one of the systems available. Uh, we've really highlighted here um, organisations that are, that are doing good work um, such as WOLGA um, and there are other other guidance and documents around the place. There's no one source of truth. Um, people, when they're developing their road safety management system, need to cherry pick the, um, the principles that resonate best with their local government area and bring them together in a way that, um, that works for their area and responds to the particular road safety issues in their local government space. And David Bobman has just um, sent me a message saying uh, also the network-wide road design uh, process will, um, which will be published quite soon, um, is something to keep an eye out for in that space. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks. Thanks, David. Love your work. <laughs> um, so another question, uh, this is in regards to um, Safe System Pillar and uh, yes. particularly can you provide an example of where a local authority uh, would strengthen the safer vehicle pillar of the safe system? Yeah, okay. Um, let me just, um, I can bring you to the right slide there. Let me think we, uh, let's try this one. Okay, so at a, um, at a, a local government level, uh, there are opportunities for 
councils to make contributions in the safer vehicle space. Um, for instance, you could um, mandate that external parties that are providing services to council um, must provide evidence that they are using five-star vehicles. So that would be um, one of the techniques for um, broadening reach beyond just the management of the vehicle fleet that council operates, which of course should be progressing towards um, five-star fleet as well. Um, now that's that's on the vehicle side. Obviously, um, the government isn't able to um, make any um, inf or have that influence at a at a national. Um, or, or state level about um, policies related to uh, the import of used vehicles or anything like that, but it certainly can create policies um, for the safe use of vehicles and the types of vehicles that it wants to see being used um, by staff and by others undertaking work on behalf of council. Great, thank you. Um, got another question uh, that I don't have a slide number for, but you may know. Uh, so this is in relation to unsealed roads and mm -hmm. the bit of a statement first. So unsealed roads in Australia have generally the du double the accident rate as, as sealed roads. Most crashes occur on curves due to poor geometric designs and maintenance practices. What practices do you recommend to minimise such crashes? Right, I don't have um, a reference to um, road safety practices for unsealed roads um, on hand, um, I'll go away and um, find that information. We can respond to that question in writing as well. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, so a uh, question from Gary who says, Kia ora, um, in what situation is it prudent to conduct a safe system assessment instead of a road safety audit? Oh, great question. Um, look, we're certainly not saying that road safety audits um, don't add value. Um, what the benefit of a safe system assessment is, is that it is directly focused on um, the, um, the likelihood of a, a situation or an option uh, creating death and serious injury. So it's very focused uh, around that. Uh, and you can see the, um, the change in risk that is generated through different options. Our safety audit will tend to make those judgment calls around the likelihood um, of um, a serious injury happening. The safe system assessment framework puts a, a quantitative process around that. So look, I would, I would advocate for transitioning towards the safe system assessment framework or um, producing something bespoke for a local government level that includes elements of both. So uh, looking at auditing so it goes beyond just what the safe system assessment framework considers but also taking the best elements of the safe system assessment framework. Great, thanks Paul. Um, so next question relates to slide 39 okay. and the reference to speed. Yes. So uh, um, the person with the question says, I deal with a traffic offender program where speeding offenders are often travelling at up to two times the posted speed limit. How can any system manage to cope with this? Yeah, look, that's, um, that's really uh, a difficult situation to deal with. And 
Um, I, I think it's I think it's about 30% um, is the number that's quoted. Look, um, apologies if I've got that wrong. Um, of the contribution to um, the number of deaths that occur on our roads, where people are deliberately operating outside the the limits of the safe system, so um, making um, making decisions to operate well outside of the of the limits that can be controlled for by the um, by the road system managers. Not quite sure how we deal with that at the moment, apart from perhaps some um, uh, stricter penalties. Um, greater enforcement, um, license removal and the like. Um, but on the flip side, I think if these principles are adopted here, um, at least there's 70% of the issue that's being um, dealt with. That's just on the death side um, uh, and a greater proportion again in the serious injuries where people are operating within the system limits, but simply uh, making mistakes and we need to move our system more to be becoming more forgiving of people that make those mistakes so that um, they're not killed or seriously injured. Great, thanks Paul. Uh, so this question uh, is I suppose a more general question, it doesn't have a slide. Um, so it's the, that some areas of intervention are at a national or state level, for example licensing and regulations, vehicle manufacturing, and they're beyond the authority or the control of local government to intervene. So how can local government realistically act on all aspects of the safety pillars? Um, look, I think that goes back to the safe vehicles question. That was probably mm -hmm. um, three or four questions ago. So okay. um, we can't, um, local local government isn't able to um, deliberately, oh, oh, sorry, directly um, make change at that, um, at that federal level. Um, legislative level. However, they can um, direct people towards making uh, the safest possible selections when it comes to um, the vehicle that the community buys. So um, through en encouraging campaigns um, there with local residents about uh, choosing safe vehicles and also requiring it um, for um, the council fleet and people providing services to council as well. So there's opportunities to influence um, more in an indirect rather than a direct way. Great, thanks. Another um, question where well, I don't have a, a slide number, but practitioners need a systematic system of readily assessing ways of determining a relative risk score of sites that can help determine priorities for future treatments. What systems such as, such as this are available? Okay, um, I'm just going to refer to a part of the report because that is um, certainly covered. So there are techniques such as um, ANRAM, the Australasian, um, Australian National Road National Risk Assessment Model, um, and in uh, there's the the IRAP uh, models, so the star ratings of roads, and in New Zealand uh, the infrastructure risk rating has been applied at a national level, applied to every road. Um, that's also a technique that um, Austroads have used, and there is an IRR tool available that was um, mentioned on one of the slides. I'm just trying to find the reference to that um, as a Guide, I think it was on slide number, excuse me while I find it, 41, I'll just bring that up. So under the, um, the road risk assessment case studies and engagement guidance for speed management, that's the document on the left, 
there's a link there to an IRR tool, that's infrastructure risk rating tool. That's, um, that's a method for proactively assessing the um, underlying level of road safety that um, is present on a particular road based on a combination of the physical, um, environmental and operating conditions of a road. So you can input data related to um, seal width, uh, the nature of roadside hazards, the um, uh, the adjacent land use environment and a, and a risk rating on a five scale band will pop out there. So that's something that can be um, applied at a, at a network level. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a growing list of um, um, those sort of tools becoming available. I'm just trying to find the uh, section 4.3. Uh, if, if people are interested, the best place to refer to there is probably section 3.8 of the report. I won't go into that in detail though, uh, but that covers off some of the techniques available. Great. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to go to one more question. Uh, we have run out of time. Um, and we've got a very long question. I'm going to skip over that one just to do a short one. Um, so slide 31. Nope. Nope. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Okay. Can you give a practical example of how crash risk has been modified to equivalent risk values? Yes, I can uh, do that. So um, I'm familiar with the, the approach that's used in New Zealand. So what's done there is um, the uh, the full crash database uh, at a whole national level is um, brought together and then it's disaggregated um, in various ways. So it looks at intersection versus mid-block crashes, in particular um, crash movement types in different speed environments. And what it does is it looks at the ratio of deaths and serious injuries for every injury crash that um, has occurred. And so what you'll find is that um, if there's a head-on crash in a high-speed area, the the ratio of people killed and seriously injured is much, much higher than the ratio uh, that um, you get from a, a rear-end collision in an urban setting in a lower-speed area. So what the point of the equivalent process is with crash history is it takes um, every injury crash that happens on a network and applies this severity indice to it to say if these crash patterns, if these crashes continue to happen in the future, what's the long-term average number of deaths and serious injuries we might expect? So that looks at, um, it's, it's really creating a balance between um, crashes that have happened that are yet to manifest as death and serious injuries, but a high risk, um, and also to bring back those that may have had multiple deaths and serious injuries uh, that are that one-off occurrence and not to over-prioritise over emphasis on those. So that's that process. I can provide um, further information to people um, who might be interested in that process and, and links to where they can find some of that further information. Terrific. Thanks so much, Paul. And look, I know there are a few questions that we didn't get to answer today, but we will respond to you uh, in writing and we'll post the response to the, all of the questions uh, up on the website when we upload the recorded webinar. 
So thank you very much. So just before we close today's session, I wanted to let you know about the next webinars that are on our schedule. Uh, on the 26th of March, we've got a webinar coming up on integrating safe system with movement in place for, for vulnerable road users. Um, lots of great case studies in that, uh, and I think that there'll be quite a lot of interest in that. On the 31st of March, we're uh, looking at how road operators can support the transition to support electric vehicles. And then on the 9th of April, we've got a session that's looking at an Australian drink driving policy and regulatory framework. We've also got a couple of webinars coming up for in late May and early June, uh, which are focusing on pedestrian planning and pedestrian survey and audit methods. Those details aren't yet on our website, but I wanted to give you a heads up about those. They're going to have a very practical focus and they'll be very relevant to local government practitioners. So you can, um, for those three that are up there, you can, um, if you haven't already, you can register on our website. So thank you very much, Paul. That was just a great presentation and a great response to everybody's questions. Um, thanks so much to everybody who participated. You provided us with some really excellent questions and um, I hope uh, that you got a lot out of it. Um, after we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen and we just ask you to take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. We do read it all and we've been using your feedback on future sessions to shape this year's program. So it's really valuable. Um, so thanks again, everybody, and hope you enjoy the rest of your day.